welcome to FreedomCast, a podcast dedicated to interviewing star icons and entrepreneurs who have encouraged others to become more healthy and active. My name is Ashton, and it's my pleasure to host you as we take another trip through the fitness industry. It's entertaining and informative, and I hope it makes fitness more exciting and special to you in your own fitness journey. FreedomCast is supported by Freedom Fitness Equipment in Charlotte, North Carolina. Freedom Fitness Equipment serves the health and fitness community nationwide, from free weights and strength equipment for home gyms and studios, to cardio and conditioning equipment for commercial spaces. Check them out at freedomfitnessequipment.com. Let's get rolling with today's show. Gentlemen, welcome Jimmy Kolb, uh, single ply bench master. Um, I think your record right now, I'm looking at your profiles, 1,120 pounds. Is that correct? That is, that is correct. And it was actually using pounds. So it's not <laughs> like I had to do kilos and then round up to the nearest kilo or anything. We competed in the IPA uh, meet at York Barbell in Pencil- uh, York, Pennsylvania. Wow. And uh used pounds because we're we're american and uh <laughs> so yes 11 11 20 uh in single ply equipment is my current best bench that's freaking insane uh seven all-time world records sponsored by multiple um companies and uh, just mm-hmm. fantastic so welcome to the podcast and uh yeah i uh i would love to know how you bench like most people think you know a 300 pound bench or 400 pound bench is impressive and you're blowing out most people's squat PRs. So, um, and I know it's with, I, I know it's with single ply, um, but how, how in the world do you bench over a thousand pounds at all? It's, it's, I think it's about adaptation. So when I was myself a 300 pound bench presser, when I was, oh man, uh, I think 15, I started lifting at 14. It took me a year. I think I hit 300 or 320 or something like that at 15 years old. I can't remember exactly. Wow. That, that felt like a Mack truck to me. Um, that felt like it was a, a literal ton. And the same thing went for when I benched 400 and when I benched five, six, seven, eight, um, you know, 1120, relatively speaking, feels the same kind of heaviness to what 300 pounds used to feel. Um, it's about adapting your body, your central nervous system. Um, and it's taken me 17 years when I first, I touched my first weight at 14. I think I benched like 120 pounds. So it's taken 120. That's an ironic number. So it's taken me a 17 years to add a thousand pounds to my bench. So it's not been an easy process at all. Sure. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I know very little about, uh, single ply multiply lifting so for the folks like myself who who don't know what that involves what what is that and um in what ways does that assist you with getting those kinds of totals yep so single ply multiply that refers to the kind of equipment so i'm an equipped lifter mm-hmm. raw is t-shirt you know maybe wraps uh, that's what people know the most of that's what's uh, very known um, now single ply multiply, uh, equipment's been around since the late eighties. So it's not a recent thing. It's been in this, it's been a part of the sport for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, so equipment, uh, the shirt that I wear is made of polyester. Okay. It's a fabric shirt, tight, uh, polyester. And it's one single layer, just like your t-shirt is one single layer of mm-hmm. cotton or whatever it is. That's what I wear is one single layer of polyester okay now there's other shirts out there like made of denim like your jeans made of denim they're not quite as popular anymore you don't really see them now multiply is referred to as that one layer of polyester but add layers on top of that you could have a double ply you could have triple ply there's shirts that go above that wow Uh, so right now single ply is considered to be the most basic of supportive equipment on the market. It's the least supportive. It's the most basic equipment out there right now. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and how does the polyester vary from why, why, why have people moved away from that canvas or corduroy, uh, material? Is it just more advantageous to do the use of polyester? So back in, uh, you know, when, when the equipment first came out, 
obviously everything progresses. Look at what the football players wore back in the, you know, twenties, yeah. they wore <laughs> leather helmets with like wool in them. And now look at what they wear. Everything progresses. So back in the day when polyester first came out, it worked, but it also, you know, it wasn't that good. And then down the road, when people started getting more creative, they found out they can make these shirts out of denim. Very rarely you've got cases where they make them out of canvas. I've never seen one personally, a bench shirt made out of canvas. So they have squat dudes made out of canvas, but they are, there are bench shirts out there that are made of that. Um, Now the denim was considered top of the line. The polyester had support and, you know, it's, it's more of a stretchy material as compared to denim that doesn't stretch at all. Yeah. Um, But the denim is what all the big guys were using in their late 90s, early 2000s to bench the biggest numbers because it had that brute support because the material doesn't stretch, it contorts. Yep. And that it gets a lot of pressure on the body. Um, But then once technology got more advanced, the material became better made, uh, better sourced. Mm -hmm. Uh, Polyester started to eclipse the capabilities of what denim was uh, able to do. So you've got the stopping power of denim, but with the return of polyester. So they've just basically kind of made denim obsolete. Okay, gotcha. And is it the same kind of mechanics as like a Mark Bell slingshot where stretching and and allowing you to bring back more, more force on the upward movement of that bench press? It's the same concept, but it's not applied the same way. Okay. Uh, a Mark Bell slingshot. There's a lot of products out there that are mimicking or built the same way as a slingshot. For example, with Anderson powerlifting with uh, Titan equipment, I use what's called the Titan Ram. Okay. Same concept, but that those pieces store uh, energy through elasticity because they're made of wrap material. Wrap material has interwoven rubber, which yep. gives it that elasticity property. So it's storing it by elasticity and then rebounding it through kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm using these polys, and you can take any one of my shirts, you can't physically stretch it. It's it's high dense oh, fabric. Wow. Okay, um, but it, it will give if you apply enough force, if you <laughs> apply enough weight. Uh, but it's not springy. It's not like a rubber band. It's not like a slingshot. It's not going to throw the weight back up. Um, the material does contort and move and have a little bit of return, but it's not like a rubber band at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So, um, when did you start, have you always done single ply or did you start out raw and progress from there? Yeah, I started when I was 14 and then I lifted for four years. Just I didn't know what powerlifting was at that point. Yeah. Um, I had an idea of what it was. Um, obviously I was doing all three lifts. My first eight months, I was actually bodybuilding. That's how my, I originally started lifting weights. I wanted to be a bodybuilder. I was in a bookstore and long story short, picked up, uh, the Joe Weider bodybuilding encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. I was like, Whoa, I want to look like that. That's cool. Uh, what dedication these guys have. It's amazing. So I started bodybuilding, uh, gained 30 pounds. I went from 150 to 180 in my first eight months. Um, newbie gains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wish I could do that now, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> and then, uh, I lifted for four years. I, I progressed out of bodybuilding. I wanted to pursue strength. I thought that was more impressive in, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Four years of just kind of doing everything, doing overhead presses and rows and deadlift, doing all the lifts to be overall strong at 18. I've got bad allergies right now. I apologize. Oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but anyway, so at 18, I met my first local pro level powerlifter. His name was Adam Hicks. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to my first bench press shirt, which ironically was a denim bench press shirt. Uh-huh. It was one of his old ones. Mm-hmm. So at 18, I started competing uh, in equipment. And then I, I've done multiply, single ply. I've done denim, poly, open back, close back, uh, <laughs> grid stitch, no grid stitch, any combination you can think of. I've done it all. Mm-hmm. over these last 13 years of competing okay gotcha and uh what's the so what in your opinion is the best uh i'm not going to ask about brand but just style of single ply what if, if if somebody's wanting to be where you are and you know 17 years down the road and they're benching a thousand plus pounds 
Mm-hmm. Um, what style have you found to be most advantageous or does it really depend on physique? Everybody's every human being that's ever lived is living and will live is completely unique and different. Yep. And I've, so I personally, I got picked up by Anderson powerlifting at the age of 19. So one year wow. into competing. Yeah. Um, I benched when I was, when I just turned 19, I achieved my first 700 pound bench press. That's when Anderson contacted me and said, we'd love to have you. What do you want? Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I would using, so my, I was like, um, well, I've got this old crappy denim. I could use a new double ply, something you've got on hand. And Ken Anderson was the guy who was still running it at the time. Mm-hmm. said, well, right here next to me, I've got this double ply super katana with an open back. Mm. I think that'll fit you based on what you told me. I was like, oh, cool. And Ken knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. A week later, I had this shirt. And then I think four months down the road after using it, I benched 740 at 19 years old. Whew. So I've used katanas. Um, and I'm totally not. When I was younger, when I was 18, not sponsored. I, I branched out. I used some Inzer brand shirts. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of companies that were making them back then. Inzer and Tight were pretty much it. He had Metal, which I never uh, messed around with, that company from Finland. Yeah. Um, so I've always used Katanas. That's always what's worked for me personally with my stature, my short arms, my short stroke. Um, and I, I every all-time world record I've achieved in the bench press has been with a katana of one style or another. Oh, wow. Um, I've, I've tried, you know, I've, bra- I've experimented with other Titan branded shirts, uh, some Furies F6s. Uh, I've delved into some Evil Twins when they came out with the Evil Twin uh, line of equipment. And I've always fallen back and done very big things with Titan katanas. Uh, like I said, I've used some Inzers before. They were okay. Uh, I see them blow out all the time, which is a big no-no. Ooh. Um, so I, I always steer people towards considering and messing around with uh, katanas. Okay. Okay. And that's an, so that's essentially, from what I can tell from your videos, that's you sliding on the front part of a shirt, open back, where it's just ha- hanging off, and then benching with that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and then are, and so then there are, it sounds like there are others, there are others that you would almost put on like a, I guess it would look like a wetsuit at that point. Like it's so tight. Um, yeah, Yeah, my, my, my single plies are, you know, it still resembles a a shirt. It's a closed neck. It's got a back, everything's encased. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you started getting away from that, the open back shirts and stuff is okay it starts, it starts to resemble not a shirt. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm drawn to, the, I'm drawn to the simplicity of the single ply closed back shirts because yep. they still resemble a shirt. The adjustability is not quite there because it's got a closed neck and closed back. So you have to really know the thing well and have these little tricks you can do to adjust it with having the limitations of it being completely uh, closed. Okay. But I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to that simplicity and getting as much as you possibly can out of a very simple piece of equipment. Gotcha. And I'm sorry, I, I think I missed it earlier. The katana is an open back or a closed back? You can get it any way you want. Oh, okay. Okay. A, normally, if you get something completely stock, it's going to have a closed back. Mm-hmm. When you see them with the open back with the Velcro closures, that's an alteration that you have to request. Um either upon ordering or if you get it down the road and go, man, I don't like that it's closed. You can send it back and say, Hey, I want this cut open with Velcro. It's just an alteration. It's a, it's a, an option. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, depending on what you prefer. Very cool. So now I've got to ask, because I, I listened to the Mass Nomic podcast and they recently interviewed a guy who was doing single ply, multiple ply lifting. And he Ooh. got so much crap for, I don't give a rip either way, but he got so much crap for, why are you doing this? The multiply sucks. Raw is the best way to go. And I know raw is getting huge publicity right now, but um, what would you tell people about single ply multiply lifting and um, why people should try it over raw lifting? Well, I think that you're going to extend your career. That's the original idea, the original purpose, why the equipment came out. The first piece of equipment to come out back in the late 80s was actually the squat suit. Um, a a company called marathon made the very first squat suit. I think 
a year or two after that, the first bench press shirt came out. And every time you hear or see now that we have full access to social media and the internet these days, whether you hear it or see it, when anybody rips a peck or blows out a shoulder in the bench, what are they normally doing? Raw. Raw. Yeah. Raw is cool. I'm not going to, I give a lot of respect to anybody who's in the sport doing whatever they want. They have my respect as long as they're working hard. Um, raw is cool. I have no interest. Um, I want, I always use the analogy that I want to do this sport for decades, not just years. Yeah. Um, me being, especially still being a natural athlete. If I rip a peck, if I blow out my shoulder doing something, I don't even compete in mm-hmm. you know, being stupid in the gym. I'm not going to recover from a blown out peck in a month. That's going to take, I'd say probably upwards closer to probably a year. Yeah. And that's a year where I can't compete even equipped. So I don't do raw. I don't have no interest in it. And that also stems from the idea that I'm not doing this sport for anybody else. Yeah. I'm doing this sport for one person. That's me. So I'm going to lift how I want to lift for me. And I'm not going to do this sport to please others. If they want me to lift raw because of what, because they want me to, because they, they, I want to, no, I'm not going to please others. I'm here for me. You don't like it. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. So lift raw if you want to. I mean, me lifting equipped is not going to stop somebody from competing raw. Right. Right. That's a really good point about longevity and something that people really don't think about on the, on the long term, particularly from powerlifting standpoint, because that whole culture is grind, do as much as you possibly can, and then eventually end up burned out. Like, uh, and I love Dave Tate, but like that guy has so many injuries. It's ridiculous. He does. Yep. <laughs> and, and I know. It comes from that raw stuff, man, going, going full out uh, to the walls raw all the time. You're, you're just asking for it. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I, I want to ask you about uh, squatting and deadlifting uh, here in a second, but um, are the, the stuff that you're doing with the boards that I've seen in a few videos, when I first saw it, I was like, what the crap? But then I realized you're actually doing that for technique because you're specializing so what's the, you know, the one, like the one and two inch range of motion and coming down off of that, what is that doing from a practical standpoint for your bench? So a lot of times when you see board work, um, it's, if you have a weak spot in the bench, if you're, if you get a bench up all the way to the top, you just cannot lock it out. You don't have the tricep strength or in case of a raw lifter, if you get stuck right off the chest, if you're going to miss a lift, it's right here. Yeah. Uh, what you do stick an appropriate sized board on your chest and you can actually train that weak spot in the bench. You can train that upper end mm-hmm. where you stick like a one board in there and you can train that spot that you get stuck on. That's the original idea behind boards. Mm-hmm. Um, what I use them for nowadays is two purposes. One, to overload. Any human being on the planet can lift more weight over a shorter distance. That's yeah. just... So it, it lets me handle loads that I cannot handle full range. That's adapting my, my bones, my uh, connective tissue, my central nervous system Mm -hmm. uh, to heavier loads. Um, That way, when I'm going to compete, if I want to bench 1150 at my next meet or 1200, if I've handled 1200, 1250, 1300 pounds on a consistent basis, that's that load is not going to be a shock to me when I get to the competition. The other reason uh, boards are a fantastic way to build enormous strength in the triceps. Um, And if there were two things I would tell an athlete to do to increase their bench, it would be tricep work and upper back work. Uh, Triceps are so, I mean, no, I don't think anybody has strong enough triceps, myself included. They can always be stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's basically what it is. It's a training tool. It's not like I got a PR bench today in the gym and I have a board in there. It's like, no, that's a, that's a training tool. I'm training a specific portion of the lift that maybe I'm weak at, or I want to improve on. Yep. Yep. I think a lot of people see that and they, they think, Oh, it's just another stupid power lifter doing stupid things. But, um, yep. and, and granted some people are doing that because they're more, I, I remember there was a guy in a plan of fitness that I think was doing, uh, essentially it wasn't a static hold. He was just trying to ego lift. Um, sure. but yeah, people need to understand that that those ranges of motion are from a technical and proficiency standpoint, actually helping you. Um, and so on the, on, so are you squatting and, and deadlifting 
uh, during the week as well, uh, minimal amount, or are you concentrating almost 100% on the bench? So for the last oh, uh, three years, up until five weeks ago, I was 100% just bench. Oh, wow. Um, my basic schedule was two days for bench, two days for back. What was the other one? And then two shoulder days. Okay. Uh, but not, I don't do shoulder days like overhead. I don't do anything overhead. It's all just lateral raises and rear delt work. Oh, interesting. So that that's actually for a while, it was two bench, one shoulder and three back days a week. Hmm. Um, once I brought my back strength up and I was satisfied then I knocked it down. Like I need, I need more shoulders. I'm weak in the shoulders. So it's two, two and two. Now that was for three years. I did that wow. concentrate only on bench. And I loved every minute of it. <laughs> As of five weeks ago, I decided to say maybe in an effort to put on some more weight, some healthy weight. I've got plenty of healthy and unhealthy weight. So maybe I've got room to grow in my lower body. Mm -hmm. I decided to start squatting and deadlifting again. So now I've still got two bench days a week, two lower body days, and then my one back day. Okay. So for the last five weeks, yes, I have been doing the other two lifts. Okay. And I am very curious now, what are your numbers on squat and deadlift? So I, I've got a raw squat of 700. Good Lord. Um, now I, I've gained, I'm heavier than I was before. So I might have something to do with it. So I've got a raw squat at seven. Uh, deadlift is in the high sixes. Mm -hmm. um, after a beltless 500 good morning, I did a beltless 660 deadlift just to just to be honest with myself like if i was in a full meat situation yeah you're going to be pre-exhausted going into the deadlift yep so i did a pre-exhausted uh it was a cambered bar good mornings up to 500 pounds before a 660 pull so not astronomical um i'm not built for those lifts particularly the deadlift here's the thing if you if you're a perfect uh perfectly born you got the perfect mechanics for bench press mm -hmm. You have horrific uh, mechanics for deadlift, oh. and the same goes the other way. If you are a natural-born deadlifter, you have short torso, long arms. You are a perfect deadlifter. Mm -hmm. You've got horrific mechanics for bench press. Yes, um, I always reference whenever uh, Andy Bolton, who's what I'm a huge Andy Bolton fan from New England. Mm -hmm. New England, no, England. <laughs> England, okay. that one. Uh, he was squatting well over 1200 pounds and deadlifting a thousand in a full meet oh my gosh and i'm using this very i'm not saying only like i'm saying it lightly but he would only bench in the 600s yeah okay you know what i mean because he had horrible mechanics for it. he had super long arms and a short torso and his mechanics were horrible for bench pressing yeah. um adversely a lot of the biggest Benchers of all time, myself included, just are not good at deadlift. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Though. You're better than a lot of us, though, starting out of the gate. That's for damn sure. Um, I've got I've got really long arms, and so I love 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 deadlifting. But you're right. I mean, when it uh, transferring over to bench, I've been trying to watch folks like you to get better tips on that. But um, good lord, I mean, the range of motion alone is merciless. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and people give me such hell in the past or even recently uh, on certain social media platforms, uh, some of which I don't use anymore. <laughs> They're just like, you know, you're huge, you're fat, you got these short arms. I'm like, I was born this way. Like, mm -hmm. What do you want me to do? I'm going to utilize every mechanical advantage I can. If I've got short arms. Like I, I don't know. Pick better parents next time. I guess. <laughs> like, what do you want? What do you want me to say? You know what I mean? Like I was, I was born built to bench. I've got short arms. I've spent a long time building up my midsection to decrease my stroke, but benching off my belly. I don't know, like get over it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. What um, do you want me to say? Yeah. It, it, and, and, you know, anyway, the results speak for themselves. So, yeah. um, uh, and so with most of these powerlifting competitions, so they have a, so you can bench press specialize and that's, that'd be the only lift that you'd be doing in that competition then. Yeah. It's called, it's called bench only very, very elaborate, you know, <laughs> very elaborate title. I'm a bench only guy. <laughs> um, the original, uh, idea behind, 
uh, there, there's also push pull where you can do just bench and deadlift or you can mm-hmm. deadlift only, which is deadlift only or bench only. Mm-hmm. Um, that was um, the idea was for older athletes who can no longer squat. That seems to be the one lift that you poo poo when you get really old, I guess. I'm not there yet, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that allows older athletes to continue competing. Okay. Um, but then obviously if anybody can do it. Uh, so if you want to specialize in just one lift, you can. Now, I, I don't, for the life of me, think there's a squat-only division out there. I really don't think there is. Hmm. You got bench-only, deadlift-only, and push-pull. Um, so I, I always like to mention that I, I don't firmly believe that I today am a true power lifter. Mm-hmm because powerlifting is defined as the sport of the squat bench and deadlift. Right. I define myself as a specialist, as a bench press specialist. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Um, you talked a little bit about your training career and starting at 14 and going from there. At what point did you realize, Holy cow, I'm really good at this. I'm getting sponsored. This is now, and, and, and my other question is at what point did this become a career or are you still working stuff on the side? So the first part of it, when did I think I was really good? Um, when I was in middle school at the age of 14 or 15, mm-hmm. when I was benching 300, 340, I think was my best at 15 years old. Um, back then that was 2002, 2003, 2004. The first 800 pound bench press had just been done right by Ryan Canelli, I think in 2002. Okay. I could be wrong about that. And I was like, Oh, Jesus, you know, the living, living, living God. In my life. <laughs> and I, I made at that moment, I made my life goal to bench 700 pounds because back then 700 was still very unheard of. That was yeah. very rare. 800 pounds had just been done. And there was like maybe, seven guys over 700. I mean, wow. Prestigious, prestigious, uh, weight. So I said, my life goal before I die is to do 700. So when I did that weight at 19, you know, just a handful of years later, I was like, Oh, wow. That was, that's incredible. So that's, that's where I began to think I could probably take this somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't consider myself to be really good until I finally benched 800 pounds when I was 20 years old at that point i'm like okay now i think i'm getting up there good yeah that's where i decided yeah i could definitely be good at this be world class um picking up sponsors at 19 years old anderson powerlifting i was with animal for a while this okay uh then i got with mhp i was with mhp maximum human performance for three years um but anderson's been there since the beginning since (laughs) 19 so the last almost 13 years Wow. 12 years. <laughs> Close enough. Dropped out of college because of math. But uh <laughs> so, but uh career wise, um I was in the military for four years. Um and halfway through my enlistment, I decided I I, I left the sport in 2015 for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Then I joined the military, uh the Marine Corps. And then halfway through that enlistment, I started lifting again. Um so when I got out of the military a year ago, almost to the date, oh wow! Uh, me and my wife started our own uh, home business, uh-huh. uh, home uh, screen printed goods like T-shirts, bags, and things like that. Yeah. And so now I am able to lift full time, literally as a career. Um, I don't go to a job where I work nine to five doing something I hate for somebody I probably hate. Uh, <laughs> So I'm very fortunate at this point where I can lift full time um, on my own schedule right now. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, what's the name of the company that you're screen printing with? Called Melon Tops. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, our, our dog's name is Walter. Mm-hmm. He's actually the, the face of the company. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. But his name is Walter. So as a joke, we call him Walter Melon, like watermelon. <laughs> that melon and now we have him and it's melon tops it was actually my wife's idea and we screen print very nice very nice um going back to the conversation we have with joe how did you guys get connected or how did you even hear i want to hear your side of the story how did you get connected with joe and how'd you hear about the gym in the first place 
Yeah. So I was lifting at a gym in Manassas. We're in Virginia. I was stationed at Quantico Mm -hmm. for my uh, three years. So uh, I was lifting at a gym in Manassas called the shop. Okay. Um, Started out good. um, Started to get really crappy. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a good atmosphere, not good management. Uh, And if you have bad management with uh, crappy people, that tends to just kind of trickle down all the way. And everybody's just kind of not, not a, it's not a good atmosphere. Yeah. Um, it got really sour really quick. <clears throat> and then me and my small group of friends that I was lifting with were like, man, we got to get out of here, but there's no other gym in the area. We have to go all the way to Tyson's corner, which is a 45 hour drive North to kind of get the same equipment that we all require. This is, this is awful. What do we do? We're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And ironically, that exact same week, it's very ironic how that happened. We got word, I think through Instagram, that this new gym in the same town, Manassas, only 10 minutes down the road, was opening up and it was called Unleashed Strength. We're like, whoa. So we went there on opening day. So I've been, I've been there since opening day on a, I think it was a Saturday or something. Nice. I had one of my buddies uh, from that I was stationed with. His name was Brown. Me and Brown drove there on opening day i mean it fresh paint and just ooh, you know it just had that new smell very minimal equipment very spaced out mm-hmm. um, and i met joe and he was extraordinarily friendly i met his wife margo she was very very friendly uh had a fantastic workout and so did brown and i remember telling joe i said hey joe I th- you've got a fantastic start here this could really turn into something cool um, he went out of town for that week, but the week he came back, I ended up getting a membership and I've been there ever since. Wow. I love it. And I've, I've heard really good things about the culture that Joe's grown at Unleashed. Uh, what things have you seen that you've really liked coming out of that? So he, he experienced the shop, um, crap as well, because he was a member there before. Okay. And he branched out and wanted to make his own gym. So he got to experience what I experienced. Um, I I mean, everybody's experience is different in life, but he came from the same environment that I came from. That was toxic. Yeah. Very, very toxic gym. So he's just, he's very welcoming. Him and Margo are just amazing human beings. Just so accepting and friendly. Um, They've grown equipment as their membership has grown. We have a very small establishment. Mm-hmm. with over 400 members. And uh, so I've just seen, you know, walls being taken down, equipment getting filled in, paint going up on the walls. Uh, the the child kind of daycare, little quiet room got torn down and more equipment got put in. And just as more and more people come in, um, and Joe is very accepting of it. If you want an Olympic lift, if you want a power lift, if you want a CrossFit, if you just want to come in and walk on the treadmill and leave, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You're part of the community. And as such, you know, you get these little niches here and there, like myself and my crew. Yep. Um, we have all of our own equipment and Joe doesn't care what we, I mean, we doesn't want us putting holes in the walls and stuff like that, but you know, we can do, you know, we just, it's a powerlifting gym. It's a powerlifting oriented gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you get groups of Olympic lifters, groups, groups of uh, raw lifters, groups of equipped we equipped and raw. We do both. You know, I don't, I don't just do equipped lifting, but um, it's just really cool uh, to see it go from the fresh paint smelling day on day one mm-hmm. with almost no equipment to what it's grown to now. Um, over, he just celebrated his two-year anniversary not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just it's it's something you can really got to go in and see and experience. And Joe and Margot being that friendly with everybody is really the reason behind all of it. Sure, sure. Uh, I want to go back a little bit to your career and uh, the sponsorships and everything with um, everybody that's gotten behind you over the years. I know for some, um, there's there's fitness influencers and then there's fitness influencers and there's good ones and there's terrible ones. Um, how did you end up setting yourself apart to where you got that kind of attention? I'm always curious about that from a sponsorship perspective because um, a lot of I think a lot of people. Uh, don't know how to get that started to begin with. So did somebody just call you up one day and say, Hey, I, I see you're breaking world records here. What can we make happen? Or. So the only time 
a sponsor has actually reached out to me mm-hmm. was with Anderson Powerlifting. Now, I met Ken Anderson at the 09 Bench Nationals in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, the USAPL type. Now, I hadn't learned my lesson yet with USAPL, so I was still competing with them, but that's a whole nother <laughs> right now. We should talk about that. <laughs> we will. Oh, if you want to, I'll, I'll get into it. But uh, for the sake of this part of the story, I met Ken at the 09 Bench Nationals. He had a booth set up in the back of the, the ballroom mm-hmm. um, in Cleveland here. And uh, I had ordered my fir- I ordered my first katana. I actually bought it. Oh, it cool. The only, katana, the only katana I ever paid for. I ordered it from him. Then while I was at this bench nationals, at eight, I was uh, 19 years old. I benched my fir- I have an IPF world record. A lot of people don't know that. Um, nice. One of them. Just one. <laughs> I think they're. I think it's frozen in time because they changed all their weight classes and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But I've got the certificate to prove it. But anyway. Um, I benched an IPF world. I actually broke the junior world record as a 19 year old. So that was pretty cool. Holy cow. Went back to talk to Ken said, Hey Ken, I just, uh, I bought this shirt from you a couple of weeks ago. He goes, who are you? I said, Jimmy Coleman. I said, I just benched a world record. Goes, oh, here's a free t-shirt. Here's a free, here's it. You know, so we kind of made a connection there, but he reached out to me when I, when I benched 700 pounds for the first time. So I benched 636 at the bench nationals for a uh, junior world record IPF. Mm-hmm. I think three months later, I benched seven and he called me. Okay. And that's the only time that's ever happened. Now with any, su- I've been with three different supplement companies. I'm not with a supplement company right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not been with one for over a year with those uh, types. I've always had to engage and make the step to, to reach out. Okay. Not, it's never been in my experience and maybe it's just because I'm not on the right side of the sport because I'm not raw or because I, I'm just not very, I'm not huge on self-promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been, I'm, I just, I like to lift weights and that's kind of it. <laughs> but, I, and she, my wife actually was the one who kind of pushed me towards this, but we had, we, we've been on the computer and start typing up a, a letter this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I plan to do. Here's what I can do for you. Cool. And send that out and start the process of emailing back and forth. And that turns into a call and that turns into a, here's look over this contract and what do you think? And then it's, it's like a month and a half process. Okay. It's very, it's, I always tell people, don't wait, don't wait for somebody to contact you, reach out. If you, if you feel like you've got what it takes, and you're breaking record. That's, you know, they don't want to just pick up anybody. I mean, I would, I would argue you probably want to be a world record holder at that point. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think in most cases you need to be the one as the athlete to, to start the process. Sure. Sure. In my experience. That, yeah, I I've heard. Yeah. Both sides of that, because unless you're, um, I don't even like uh, Charlie D'Amelio on TikTok and you've blown up overnight. Nobody's calling Uh, you, (laughs) you know, that's not the norm, but people see that and they go, well, I just have to get big enough. And I'm sure that's true in some cases, but I think, I think in most instances, you're the practical approach of getting these sponsors on board with you. And, and, you know, you can sell world records. Other people can sell uh, their audience. You know, there's different ways to do that. I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, back, like I said, I, I grew up in the infancy, infancy mm-hmm. of like when YouTube for, I remember when YouTube first came out, you know, like, and the way things are now, it's completely different. Social media, which is such a crappy reality, but social media is so big and huge these days. And people are getting, people get paid for that stuff. I mean, that that's wild to me. Maybe I'm just old spirited, but um, so yeah, there's lots of different ways to do it these days. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. USAPL. What's the, oh. what's the skinny? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a fatty at this point. <laughs> oh boy. So, oh, yuck. So I, um, <laughs> when I, I'm from Ohio and mm-hmm. I was very, very spoiled that there was just, there was a meet every single weekend because there's oh. just so much federations up there yeah so I was, I was a member of eight different feds when i was 18 19 20 years old because 
I was just like, well, it's only an hour drive from my house, so it's a different fed. Well, I don't care. I'll pay the membership fee. There I can compete. There I can compete. That's what I competed all the time. And I was a member of like eight different feds. But uh, I had a friend at this gym. My original powerlifting gym was called Blackstone's Gym in West Lafayette, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Corn crib, West Lafayette. Very, very corny part of the state. <laughs> But anyway, so I had a friend who was an IPF bench press legend. His name was Ralph Young. Mm-hmm. Um, huge name in the sport. He's not, he's, he's, he's old and beaten up. He's torn both biceps, both pecs. He's all stitched together with Kevlar, but he's still competing raw, which is weird to me. I feel like what well, you should compete with equipment if you're that hurt, but yeah, awesome guy, awesome lifter. So he said, Hey man, there's the, the, the bench. This is in 2009, the bench nationals is coming around again and it's going to be in Cleveland, which is only an hour from where we live. I'm like, Whoa, that's a big deal. I think, right. He goes, Oh, that's a big deal. So I, I had a, I had just graduated high school. I graduated in 09 mm-hmm. and he said, well, you have to qualify. So I had to find a USAPL meet somewhere in the, within a reasonable driving distance. So we went to, I think it was called streets borrow or something in Ohio. It's like a two hour drive. Okay. I had to do this USAPL meet and just get a qualifying bench to then qualify for the bench nationals. Okay. I've only done two USAPL meets in my entire 13 years of competing. That's all it took just to kind of give you a preemptive how crappy this, this story is. But so I went to streets borrow and got my qualifying bench and I just got this, this silent animosity of the USAPL. Like, first meet with them i was just like i'm not having a good time here like there's no music it's like going it's you find more excitement in a a funeral home huh no music nobody's cheering. dead dead quiet i'm just like this is and the judges were you know a-holes and not friendly i did not feel like i was in a friendly environment this is my experience with them i thought oh it's a small local meet maybe it'll be different so then uh a couple months later, we go to the 09 Bench Nationals in Cleveland, which is in my backyard at some grand ballroom hotel. And uh, I got three for three on the bench. I went 584, 623, six and 636 for my IPF world record as a teenager, breaking the junior world record. Um, again, experiencing the same a-wholeness of uh, just competitors and referees and judges all alike everybody was just very very nasty and mean and wow. whatever what what happened this is so right after i benched my ipf world record i sit up off the bench and i celebrate and i go to the right and uh immediately i get an, i get a hand on my arm like this it's, a, it's some chick it's it's a one of the referees and she pulls me to the side and she goes, okay, Mr. Cole, it's time for your drug test. I'm like, oh, hey, this is great. Let's do this. Let's do this. I've done this a lot. You know, I'm all about the drug test. And she goes, yes, sir. Well, it's going to cost you $140. We accept check, credit card, or cash. I'm like, whoa, what? Say what now? 140 bucks? What? So I come to the realization uh, at this meet, at this USAPL Bench Nationals, and they deny this up and down. They'll never admit that. I, I, I've got kicked off in so many forums and uh, sites with them because I bring this up. But if you broke a state record, you would get drug tested. Yeah, fine. You broke a national record, you get drug tested. Fine. Yeah. If you broke a world record at this meet, you not only got drug tested, you had to pay for it, one hundred and forty dollars up front, which which is complete ass. So yeah, I go out into the audience, which is, it's in a ballroom. So we got, we're up on the stage. I just go down the little stairs. I'm in the front crowd with my family. I'm like, Hey guys, I have to come up with 140 bucks or I can't keep that record. Cause before I left the stage, she said, well, sir, you don't have to pay the $140, but you can't keep your record. And young me is just like, so I have to pay for my record. She goes, no, you have to pay for your drug test. I'm like, Mm-mm. so I'm in the crowd, I'm trying to literally just mooch 140 bucks. You know, here's 20, here's 10. Oh, I think I got some 20s in my purse. You know, and meanwhile, the vice president, who I'm pretty sure he's still the vice president of the Fed, is up on the stage looking for me, and he sees me and he goes, like he's like motioning me to come back up there. And I'm like, I walk up to him, I'm like, what? 
And he goes, you can't go anywhere without an escort, Mr. Kolb. I'm like, what? Oh, my gosh. They were, I was going to do a piss transfusion, like, literally right out in front of the <laughs> I could, I was not allowed to leave the stage without somebody in a uniform following me around. Oh my God. I had to be escorted. If I had to anywhere, if I wanted to go get a drink, if I wanted to sit down in the crowd, I had to have an escort. I'm like, okay. I finally get the money. I go do the, the, the piss test. I got the old man you know, right here watching me, which right. is nightmares. And then, uh, paid for it what is that that was the last time i ever competed with them they literally they and john bogart was there he's a ipf bench presser as well mm -hmm. same thing he, he can confirm my story that yeah because he broke a world record that day had to pay 140 dollars. if an athlete is not drug free and is trying to hide it mm -hmm. and is competing in a drug free meat or a drug tested fed and they get caught by via a drug test they have to pay for it. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Only once in my life have I had to pay in order to take the test yeah. to keep a world record. So I that's the only record I've ever had to pay for. That's BS. It's a total BS. So that that's my experience with the IPF. And uh, ever since then, I said, speak to the hand of that crap. So... Um, and I, like I said, I, I once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll get an itch and I'll message them or I'll comment something. I'm like, you know, I, I just, I just, I'm, po I'm poking the bear. I, I'm doing it all. <laughs> like, oh, that's cool. Are you going to charge up just to take the drug test this year? Or are you going to, like, if we don't do that, Mr. Kobe, we've never done it. I said, oh, uh, BS. Uh, back in 09, I tell my short story. Like, oh, well, that was before my time. That's not how we do things. I'm like, oh, oh come on. Just won't say it, will you? You just won't say it, but I'm going to say it till the day I die, or they pay me my $140 to shut up or something. Yeah, seriously. You know? uh, so that's just, that's my experience. Uh, everybody else is different. Um, just like we used to say in the military that everybody's experience is different. Don't base your judgment off of other people's stories, but that is, that's, that's me. That's what happened to me. Well, I mean, that's you and, and also the other guy that was there too. So, and uh, uh, there were probably, world records that were that's the only guy that i can remember and yeah. who confirmed my story on one of my posts a long time ago so oh john bogart yeah he was there yeah i'm sure there were more than just me and him breaking world records that day but yeah it, it happened so that's that's Un a true story unreal the mm. um so uh i'm assuming so are you uspa now or basically any other division other than uspl <laughs> USPA is on the same uh, playing field uh, and feds that I won't compete with. Oh, really? Oh, I've had horrible, probably not to, probably just as bad, but huh. not the same circumstances. Okay. There's only five. I think that one, I think I've got five federations I won't compete with, and USPA is one of them. Really? In addition to USAPL. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um do they the, the way they treat their athletes or is it similar and uh it, it, the way the way i've gotten treated okay uh in addition to same as usa the type of equipment they use yeah uh the particularly their their benches those er combo rack pieces of garbage <laughs> that are just if you bench more than 300 pounds are basically worthless you yeah. know so yeah. me trying to show up to a meet and open it over 900 single ply and I'm on a crappy ER rickety, you know, paper thin, narrow bench. And I'm not even allowed to have a three man handoff. And then the meat breaks their own rules and said, Oh, it's a lot of weight. You can use your own spotter. So I'm like, yeah, you think? And no kidding. There's a lot. I could go on and on and on, but yeah, wow. USP, USAPL on the same field of, I'll never compete with you ever again. Wow. And I'll bash you into the ground to the day I die because <laughs> I'm petty. <laughs> well, you've got good reason to be. So I don't, I don't, I don't judge. I don't judge you for that. The, um, oh, I, so I'm a fitness equipment nerd. So you're talking about uh, rickety equipment and that kind of thing. So um, I, what's your opinion on true bench press setups without those spotter? You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the ones that just have the rack in the back. Like what, uh -huh. what's going on with that? Because if you're benching over 900 and that falls, you're dying. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, and I've I've had some close calls. You know, like I mentioned earlier, when you're lifting an equipment, you're not going to tear a pack, you're not going to blow out a shoulder, you're not going to destroy your body. You're going to extend yeah. your career and enjoy the heavier weights. But with the heavier weight and the, the, na- the nature of the equipment we use, you have the other risks, such as dumping the weights. Yeah. Um, I've dumped 1,004 over my head. Oh. I've 900 pounds over my head. I've dumped 850 into my belly before. Mm. Um, on and ironically, each time that's ha- well, the thousand four was actually at one of those USPA meets um, where they have they they do have the little rickety spotter arms that come up yeah. and down. Yep. But they weren't they weren't using them. They weren't adjusting them. And on my last attempt, which was a thousand four, my wife says, "Those are really low. Do you want me to move those up?" I'm like, "Yeah, put them up like three notches. That should be fine." And I dumped that weight over my head and it caught the bar about that far from my face. Oh. So had that not happened, I would have had a thousand four on my forehead. So very awesome circumstances. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. But uh, yeah, if you're, I, I think it should, I think it's irresponsible of uh, for, for one, for a meat director, I think it should be a requirement across the board that the, the competitive bench at meets it should be a requirement that they have spotter arms. Yeah, it should be. I, I, and a lot of a lot of feds don't do it. I think it's irresponsible one for the meat director to not give a crap about the safety of the lifter. Like I don't yeah. care how many spotters you have. When you get up to these kind of weights, like eight, nine thousand, thousand plus, if a bar goes, it. I don't care if you have ten guys up there; they are not going to catch that weight. No. It's just not going to happen. Um, if you have spotter arms, it could be a different, if you, you know, at least the spotter arms are going to keep you from the bar being on your body. Yes. That's the point. Body saver, face saver. It's the same thing. Yep. Um, I think it, now me, I'm the kind of athlete. The, I've been this way for the last couple of years. I call the meet director ahead of time, about a week or two. Uh, no, I'm not going to say it, about a month out. Yeah. I have to register. I don't want the meat to be sold out. So I call the meat director and say, Hey, I'm Jimmy Cole. I'm considering your, your, your meat down the road. It's not too far from my house. I have to ask this question. What kind of equipment are you using? And sometimes it's good news. Oh, we're using a Dyna body bench. We've got face savers. I'm up. Like, oh, I'm sold. Okay. Um, sometimes they say, Oh, Hey, we're, we're using a ER bench. I'm like, ew, never mind. Have a good day. <laughs> or, Hey, we're using a Forza. That's all they say. I'm like, do you have face savers on it? They'll go, no, but we got really good spotters. But okay, you know what? No, I'm not gonna. No, Uh, it's actually a rule that I have and my wife has that I am not allowed to compete unless there's face savers on the bench. That that should not even be a question these days. That's totally irresponsible. Yeah, I I I don't understand that. But um, whether it's in a commercial setting or a competitive setting, I think I think it's really irresponsible in a commercial setting. I got so much heat for that. I posted a video about that, and I got so much heat for it. I don't know why, uh, but it's you know a bunch of guys who were their opinion on it was if you can't lift the weight, just don't be lifting in the first place. But that's not the point. No, 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 no. no. Safety should not even be a question. Yeah. Now, if you're, you, I, you know, even if you're lifting a weight that you can competently handle all the time alone in a basement, doesn't matter. You can, you can handle it. Things can still happen. Yeah. Um, I had a gentleman at my gym who was benching. Uh, he was in a, one of our benches mm-hmm. that has the, the arms. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and I still see this today. I don't know why they do that. They take the arms completely out of the way. They, they, they don't lower them down out of their way or, they take them completely off the bench and set them on the floor. I don't know why, but he did this. He took them completely off. They were sitting on the floor. He had a spotter when this happened, but he was only using two, two plates and a 10. He was the, the bar. was 245. Yeah. And he tore his pack with 245. You know, it, it does it just because you're only benching in the two hundreds doesn't mean you can't rip your pack, whether it be, maybe some pre-existing injury you don't know you have or piss poor form, whatever it is, you don't have to be a 500 pound raw bencher for you to rip your pack. Yeah. I've I was there. He's, I saw it happen with 245. All I heard was a, a crash and I look 
and he's up off the bench at this point, completely white as a ghost. The bar is sitting on the pad because the bar, the spotter arms are completely absent. Oh no! I was like, uh oh! I ran and grabbed a trash can, set it in front of him, and ah, he did, he threw up everything. His body was in shock, and I said, mm. "Rip your gonna be fine though. It's still attached. You got a belly tear, yada yada yada." But he was fine after it all said and done. But mm. um, yeah, no um, commercial setting, regardless. Um, take your safety into consideration you know uh especially if you want to do this sport for a long time you you have to be safe and powerlifting is a very dangerous or can be yeah. a very dangerous sport um i think statistically speaking it's one of the safest sports out there yeah but when it's taken to the extreme like any sport it can be dangerous yeah it's it's no joke just like anything else the uh, i know you're um not doing squatting as often, but, um, my question has always been, uh, in most powerlifting meets or in the ones that I've seen, at least they have these tiny little, uh, squat stands with hooks that are only probably about that far to catch the bar when you're coming back in. Why are they not squatting in a power? It, a power rack is built for that with rods that you can adjust pretty easily. Um, yeah. I understand. So, I understand there may be some folks who say, if you go too far down, you're going to bang it. And then you hit your miss your lift. I get it, but you can adjust for that based on height. You can. No, when I go to these meets, um, even when I was um, doing full power, I squatted out of the mono lifts and they have the, uh, the change of the, the, yes. yeah, we got things wrapped around the bar. Those are great. Yeah. I would not only, I don't say I'm on the bench with the face savers. I give the judge, the judge's table, two things. I give them my rack height for the bar, mm -hmm. but I also give them the height of my face savers. Yeah. Like, hey, rack at two holes showing, face savers all the way up, as high as I can go, because that's that particular bench. Or when I was doing the squats with the monolift, I'm like, hey, okay, my, my uh, height is uh, 20. I want the chains you know, at link, you know, hooked on link, you know, 10 or something. That way, if I bottom out in the squat and dump it, it's only going to fall that far. Right. You, you, you just, you have to take the initiative. Yeah. I think the power rack, I think the reason the power, you're right. You could, you could say, Hey, I want the, the safety arms to be down here or up here or whatever. Yeah. Just provide that information. But I think the, I, I think the idea behind the power rack not being part of the sport competitively is um for the for the side judges uh oh. point. that's that's my only idea floating around in my head is that the the power rack may cause obstruction yep for the judges to do their job now i know down in texas where it's a school sanctioned sport which mm -hmm. is amazing they squat in power cages oh okay uh, but i don't i don't think those are federation meets they're just high school meets yeah but you get into any federation it's always going to be either in a monolith or a pair of squat stands with nothing else around it because of the obstruction that, that it might cause for the judges that's that's what i think anyway gotcha yeah and people to your point about spotters again people don't understand how heavy especially when you're going for world records some of this stuff is the the spotters in these events um, at least in my opinion, are about as good as the ones that you're going to get in a commercial gym setting. I mean, I know they like several of them have probably volunteered in multiple meets, but there are guys that they might be on one side of the bench or one side of the squat rack, and the other guy has this is his first time. They're not catching it. Sorry, nope. Nope. <laughs> you know. I and you know I, I've I've learned this lesson the hard way, and these days again, part of my process of competing is not only picking a meet, uh, making sure it's, I don't like traveling hours and hours to get to a competition. Yeah. Two to three hours is fine, but anything more than that, I'm like, Ugh. but so picking the meet, calling the judge, if I already know who it is and I know what kind of equipment they use, like Amy Rich, like with the RPS Federation, if it's one of her meets, I know she's bringing her equipment. I'm, I'm already sold because mm -hmm. she has the best benches out there, but calling the meat director what kind of equipment to use what kind of uh, okay cool um the other part of that is making sure that my group my crew can be there um for handoff purposes and for spotting purposes because they my crew hands off 
1,000, 1,100, 1,200, 1,300 pounds every single weekend. Yeah. And is very, very competent and experienced with the kind of weights that I'm doing and will be doing on the platform. So mm-hmm. if it's like too far away or not enough people can be there because of varying circumstances, because we all have lives, um, oftentimes they'll actually come because they want to compete too. Like, oh, it's, not, it's an opportunity to compete. That's fine. We'll all go. Yeah, we'll all do it. Um, but if they can't make it, I, I can't rely on strangers that I've never met before to hand, handle that kind of weight. No. Um, oftentimes I'll have friends that I've lifted with in the past who are in the area, live in the area. It's only half hour from their house. Hey, can you be there? Yeah, we got you. You know, I, I'm always in a situation where I know I'm safe and taken care of because I got competent people spotting me. Yeah. Um, not everybody can pull that off. If you're a loner, if you go to a commercial gym and lift on your own, or you go to the competition, you have to rely on those that are already there. Like this one USPA meet that I went to in Cleveland, Ohio. Every single spotter was a uh, U.S. Um, National Guard reservist um, that were stationed there in the area, and they all like volunteered. Uh, so every this meet, this competition had ten platforms going all at once. I've never seen such a chaotic circus of an event. They had ten platforms all going at once. There was like seven hundred competitors at this meet. Oh my gosh. I mean, too big. That's that's yeah, no, way too much. Three, I've seen three, I've seen two. Ninety percent of the time, it's one. Yeah. This meet had ten platforms, um, and every single spotter there was a volunteer uh, from the U.S. National Guard. <laughs> not not knocking our service members, sure. but just because you're in the army doesn't mean you know how to spot. You know, no. like a no. lot of weight, but you know, it's just it's whatever. So you got you got you got to pick your poison. Uh, lift on your own and rely on the meat spotters or find a crew, which I think is a requirement to be the best in the world. That's just an opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, and make sure they can be there with you. Yeah. So listen to Jimmy guys. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Not everything, but things. <laughs> well, Jimmy, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been awesome. Uh, where can people find you if they want to look at your lifts or get some advice or, I don't know. Do you do you coach by the way? I do. Uh, I coach in person, which is my pr- most preferred way to do it because I'm not a big, oh, I'm not a big internet guy. Yeah. I I hate technology. <laughs> I, I like in person. I like calling. I like speaking to people in person. I hate texting. It's mm. whatever. But yeah, I, I coach in person. Uh, I do make online uh, program like custom bench programs for people. Cool. The best way to get in contact with me is actually through Instagram. Uh, my handle is Kolb Strong, so that's K-O-L-B Strong. Uh, they can find me on there. I'm on Facebook not very often. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I do coaching. I do bench programs. Or if you just want to contact me to get some advice and talk, this is what I do full-time now. Um, this this is my occupation. And, I have, I, and I'll always get back to you. Um, if you're in the Virginia area, come lift with me. We're in Manassas, uh, which is nova northern virginia it's called nova like <laughs> i love that uh, <laughs> yeah it's just like it's then i saw a map in one of the gas stations it was a map of southern nova a map of southern north virginia <laughs> this is virginia but anyway so yeah uh, that's that's the best way to get a hold of me is on instagram with cold strong um and i wanted to talk really quick i'll just mention it yeah uh, about our scholarship that we're running it's the wrong scholarship um it's for young powerlifters we're doing ages 13 to 23 so all the teenage divisions and the junior division um starting january 1st of this coming year we're going to be taking applications and you can get all this information from my instagram uh or the Culp strong scholarship instagram as well where we will grant a thousand dollars to people who need it it's a scholarship for young powerlifters. We're taking uh, money. It's money by donation. It's a nonprofit organization. We're collecting money until the end of December. Depending on how many thousands we raise, mm-hmm. will depend on how many athletes we help. If we have two thousand dollars, there's two athletes. If we have three thousand dollars, there's three athletes. And we look at these stories of those who are who are in need. We look through it, find, see who is in most need 
of gym, you know, who can't afford gym memberships, who can't afford new equipment, who can't afford to travel and compete. Then we grant them these thousand dollars to help their powerlifting career. So I just want to put that out there in the universe. And we're still doing that. If you're interested, contact me or go visit the Instagram page, Colb Strong Scholarship. Fantastic. Uh, one last thing before you go, uh, if you had to give, I'm going to, I'm going to ask this, not from the beginner perspective, but for an intermediate or advanced bench presser, if you had to give one piece of advice to those guys, uh, what do you think they're missing most often? If all the basics are in play, you've got a crew, you've got a plan, you've got a, your, your, you know, you've, you've got a good gym with good equipment. All, all those basic things are taken care of. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I made the mistake of doing when I was younger, even up until I was in a, the seven, 800 pound bench range, mm -hmm. you know, still pretty, pretty, you know, that that's considered elite when you get to that level. Yeah. I, I used to look at how I was training and, you know, I could, nobody else trains that way. Like nobody else in the world trains the way I train specifically and I, how I mentioned that every human being is different mm -hmm. but I used to look at the guys that I emulated like Ryan Canelli like Gene Richlack Scott Bendelson Tiny Maker and because they were more successful than me and they don't train the way I do I used to think the way I was doing things was wrong mm. and I was like well Ryan Canelli doesn't do this it, it can't be right I used to try to structure how I did things like they did things but well, what's going to work for them or what's going to work for me might not work for you, you, or you, or you. So if you're doing something and it's completely unique and nobody else in the world trains that way, but you are getting benefit from it, continue to do that thing because you are a completely 100% unique individual and no other human being will ever live. That's anything like you. Right. Um, so just do things the way you need to do them for you personally. Don't try to, do things to match somebody else. Don't do things to please others. Like do the sport for the person that matters most in your life. And that's yourself. Yep. That's, that's what I, that's how I would say it. Awesome advice. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, appreciate the time, man. Um, go follow this guy on social and uh, keep up with him for really good. At, reach out to him if you need bench press tips, but uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. I, I really appreciate the time. I appreciate your time having me on here. This is fun. Uh, I appreciate everything you did and I hope you have a good rest of your day and your week. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please give Freedom Cast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot to our business. Plus, it's fun to read y'all's reviews. See you next time. <laughs>